You're listening to episode 91 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. He's Alex, I'm Tara, and we'll try to entertain you a little more than the Cardinals have as of late, which, to be fair, is kind of a low bar. Hey everybody, thanks for checking out another episode of the show. This week we are once again recording while we are watching the Cardinals take on the Brewers live. Well, sort of, I mean, it feels like it's pretty much over at this point as it's 11 to 1 and they do have to play a full nine innings tonight instead of seven with a chance to win again later. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Tara and Alex back with you again this week. If you missed last week's episode with Matthew Trueblood, make sure you check that out. We talked a lot about the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry and a lot of what has happened this season in baseball and, and why some weird things are going on. Alex, good to chat with you again this week. I wish we had a little bit better uh, immediate news to be talking about, but how are things outside of this Cardinals-Brewers game right now for you? <laughs> uh, things are fine. The uh, I, I'm, I'm going to get a good night's sleep tonight because I'm not staying up for this one. Yeah, it does not seem like there's any reason to <laughs> at this point. And we're going to talk a little bit about kind of this team in general as we go along tonight. And then Alex, of course, has another chirp of the week for us that will hopefully be a little more exciting than, um, well, this game, unless you're a Brewers fan. But the big thing of the moment right now, Alex, I don't want to kind of ignore the elephant in the room, and that is Jack Flaherty. And there's been a lot said about Jack Flaherty. There's been a lot that we haven't seen from Jack Flaherty coming out of that extended delay with the quarantine in Milwaukee, which seems to not be a place he's going to enjoy ever. <laughs> and then the delay getting him back on the field, uh, watching those pitch counts, keeping him pretty limited, really trying to um, carefully work him back into regular every five days kind of workload. It does not seem to have been super effective, at least in what we've seen from Jack Flaherty so far. Alex, is this a concerning thing in general as far as maybe Jack Flaherty isn't who we thought he was? Or is this just a 2020 baseball stuff happens? It's frustrating and damaging to this team, but maybe not the end of the world for Jack Flaherty going forward. Yes, I'm fine calling it a concerning thing during a 60-game season. I'm not worried about long-term stuff right now. It just seems as though he isn't quite right. He looked very almost anxious on the mound tonight. Would, would you agree with that yeah. uh, as a scripter? Um, he seems to have trouble putting guys away. Uh, he, when he gets two strikes, um, I, I noticed that during his last start as well. And But I think it's still important to note that he's still only thrown about 30 innings this year. I, you know, he's, he's still barely pitched. So I don't know. But he certainly, I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. He looked awful tonight, and he hasn't looked anything close to, obviously, what he looked like last year. Um, I, I wish I had uh, been able to sit down, um, had more time to sit down before we got on to kind of look at how his start was last season because, you know, he, he had a slow start last year as well. I right. don't believe it was quite like this, uh, although I could be wrong. He did have a couple of starts early on, especially in Milwaukee, where he got beat up quite a bit. I believe I just saw on Twitter before we started recording that the six, I don't remember if it was before the seventh run scored or not, but regardless, the six or seven runs, uh, tied a, a career high that was last year in, uh, I don't know, May or June against the Milwaukee Brewers. So they certainly have something on him, first of all. But yeah, I do think there is something to the fact that he didn't start out great last year. He wasn't a complete disaster, but he wasn't particularly consistent. He wasn't going deep into games. And I think that's why his second half was so extraordinarily impressive, because it was like a... Uh, he flipped a switch and all of a sudden was that Cy Young caliber guy. And I think a lot of people hoped that, you know, reasonably so that would continue 
from the first pitch this season. And I think because of all the weirdness and because of the stop and start and because of the limited pitch counts and because of, you know, all those things, it's a little unfair to expect that of him. Um, I, I do think that there was some inconsistency last year that he had to work through in the first half of the season before he was able to settle down later on. And, you know, if I were to to guess, I would say that that's the problem. He just hasn't thrown enough real game innings to face, you know, not his own teammates in live BP and get into, you know, the 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 rhythm that allows him to make those adjustments in game, whether it's to trust the off-speed stuff a little bit more than he is right now, or whether it's to command the fastball location a little bit better so that he can set up those off-speed pitches a little bit more, or if it's just, you know, his arm's not quite in middle-of-the-season shape right now like it was in the second half of last season. All of those things come into play, and the problem is there's no time. There's no time for him to fix that. There's no margin for error in any of these games, especially this week with the number of games the Cardinals are playing. And I think Jack's the kind of guy that ends up putting a lot of pressure on himself. And a a situation like that with all the things at stake that there are this season in every single game, it can snowball pretty quickly. And I think that's what we saw in, uh, in this start against the Brewers. Yeah, and Edmonds made a pretty decent point on the broadcast before I muted it, which is that this league is so good that if no matter how good of a pitcher you are, if, if you're off, you, you're going to get blown up Yeah, like Flaherty is tonight. Um, so, you know, hopefully it's just one of those nights where a pitcher doesn't have it. Uh, although, you know, as we already said, it didn't appear as though he had it in his last outing either. Wait, wait, was the Cubs game his last outing? That seems so long ago. His last outing was okay. I think he gave up two runs. It was a a two-run homer and a bunch of strikeouts. He just didn't go deep because a bunch of strikeouts... Which game am I missing? Which game was that? I don't remember. There are too many of them. There was a game in between his start against the Cubs. Did he start against the Reds? Yeah, he had to have. Because that start against the Cubs was about 10 days ago. Right, yeah. And they've played probably 15 games. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I can't remember which one it was. (laughs) Right. You know, I I think if they're going to give a seven-inning doubleheader games, they could have given us a mercy rule as well right. this season. Um, but uh, I don't know. They, the Cardinals do have the bases loaded right now, so maybe they're going to... It was uh, Detroit. <laughs> it was the first game of the Detroit doubleheader. Okay. That's, that's what it was. That's what that's I right. could... It was that one game, okay. one day, rather, <laughs> with Detroit yeah, in between. And that was that was the... That was like, what, a, a afternoon start, an early afternoon yeah. start? Mm-hmm. That's okay. That's why I don't remember that. I was yeah, and it's also, I mean, the Cardinals won 12-2 to two in that game. So the Jack Flaherty yes. start was not the headline of, uh, right. of that game. But he pitched all right, just didn't well, go super deep. What's weird is this team doesn't look very good. Yeah. But they also look like the same team as last year. <laughs> the same team that won 91 games, if I'm yeah. remembering correctly, or 92 games. How many games did they win last year? I, I think How it was 91. I remember this? Yeah, it was right, right around there. So I wonder if, one, I'm just wrong, and no, the team last year was better. Or two, if it's just sort of in this club's DNA to outlast the competition. Uh, something we won't have the benefit of seeing in a 60-game season, but had they been playing a normal season, they would have been right there with the Cubs. Because I think the Cubs are better than they were last year. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously, agreed. their record bears that out right now. But I, I, but I think they truly are better, even though they've, you know, they, they're certainly not perfect. They have a lot of faults as well. But I think just, you know, I harped on this a lot last year at the time, but I think really having a lame duck manager in Madden didn't do them a ton of favors. Uh, you know, Hayward and Hap seem like completely uh, different players this season and all mm-hmm. that. And they got, you know, Darvish who's pitching very well. Um, but I, but who knows, maybe over the course of 162 games, the Cardinals could take this division. I really don't know. I only say that because it does feel like I'm watching just season two of, of, of yeah. last year's team. Yeah, and I think to some degree that was to be expected, at least for me. And that's kind of what we want to talk about is is watching this team 
is not that exciting right now. And, you know, I hesitate to say that because I don't I don't want people listening to this who are just thrilled that there's baseball to watch to take that, uh, you know, in some Debbie Downer sort of way. But look, let's be honest, they're not a particularly exciting team, despite the fact that they are taking walks with the bases loaded and continuing to let other teams kind of force them to score runs sometimes. They're just not a particularly exciting team to watch more often than not. And I think to your point, I'm not super surprised they don't look that different than last year because they didn't really change anything to make them dramatically different. And they were just kind of hoping that guys would play better than they did last year. And that's a thing you could do. That's a strategy you could take. But it's not necessarily going to result in a team looking dramatically different than it did the year before. Now, I mean, Brad Miller is different. And he's had a few moments that were exciting. But you know, Jed Jerko had a few moments that were exciting last year, as did Marcelo Zuna. And so, you know, you kind of make those comparisons. And there's the same sort of storylines that slide into place. But there's still the same struggles with the offense either being electric or non-existent. And there's still some challenges with starters going deep into games. And you have a bullpen that looks pretty lights out. And then you start racking up the injuries. And, you know, so it just feels like copy and paste a lot of times from last year. And I was thinking about that today, too, in terms of what would this look like over the course of 162 games when there wasn't not only the pressure of what the Cardinals had to deal with in, you know, overlapping, doubling up on so many of these games, but just the the regularity of, okay, things are going to even out by the time you get to the end and you'll have a pretty good picture of who these teams are. I still am not entirely sure who this Cardinals team is, except that they're not particularly interesting. No, they're not. And it, it doesn't help that they are, but uh, they've been hit pretty decently by the injury bug. I yeah. would say, uh, you know, Fowler's having a solid season and he looks like he might, we might not see him again this year. Is that fair to say? Um, I haven't heard anything, so yeah, I, I'm not really either, sure. I think that's why I'm making that assumption. The yeah. bullpen is is banged up. I, I almost forgot that Miles Michaelis exists. You know, <laughs> we have all this stuff going on. But to your point about it being a boring team, like, look, the best player is Paul Goldschmidt. He's right. not a super exciting guy yeah. uh, other than just to, when his play speaks for itself. And that's certainly enough for me. But you know, I, I would have to say their most exciting players, Yadier Molina, because, you know, he's he's not afraid to start some beef on Instagram and he's not above, uh, you know, other things that <laughs> might might give the team some headlines. Uh, but yeah, I, it's, uh, I sit down at night and turn them on and I, out of obligation. Mm. Does that make sense? I'm not... Yeah. It's, um, we're not watching the 2020 Padres, that's for sure. Right. Yes. Yeah, it just, it feels like I want to watch in case something happens, <laughs> but I'm not normally expecting something interesting to happen. Even their wins are generally like, you know, the second game of the doubleheader on uh, Monday, just very exhausting and frustrating from the standpoint of they should have won it a long time ago, you would think. Can we, can we talk about that real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So- I assume you're talking about the game last night, the second yes. game. So I couldn't even watch because I was just so disgusted by the first game. A game that you felt like they should have won, but you could tell the whole way that they were going to lose. Did you have that feeling? Um, the The extra inning thing, what, starts with Tyler O'Neill on second base. I'm talking mm-hmm. about the first game. And I believe it's Bader who comes up and he bunts. And... I hate that move so much, not just because it's a bunt and it's cool to say that bunts suck, um, but because you're playing for one run right there, um, right? If, that's, if yeah. that's what you're doing right there, you're pretty much saying we're playing for one run, which is not a bad thing to do, I guess, if you are the home team and the other team didn't score and you only need that one run. But if you're playing for one run, when the other team also gets the bat and also gets a start with a guy on second base, then you're basically almost playing for a tie when the game is already tied. Right. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. It was so just frustrating. I don't know about you, but I was almost happy when it blew up in their face. They ended up getting a run anyway. Uh, but 
not because of that bunt, obviously that, that set them back. Um, so it may not have mattered anyway, but, and I get that move with Bader, you know, he's the fastest guy on the team. Who knows? He might beat it out. He might, you know, it might be safe. Um, you know, Bader's, uh, certainly not against striking out. So, you know, you don't want a guy to strike out right there. So if you can get a guy over the third, Hey, that's nice. But I was just so annoyed by that sequence of events. And I bring it up only because I think it goes to what we're talking about, which is like, what a boring and disappointing and just demoralizing thing to watch. Yeah. And I'll bounce off of that in a different direction and say, I felt the same way when the pitching choice immediately following taking that lead was Ryan Helsley. And look, I get it. Ryan Helsley was in the running to potentially be the closer for this team coming out of spring training before everything went haywire. But since coming back after COVID, Ryan Helsley can't find the strike zone. He just can't. He's, he doesn't have a put away pitch. He can't find the strike zone. He's not the guy you want defending a one run lead in extra innings when your starter just pitched the complete seven game of, you know, complete game, if you want to call it that. Uh, should have been because of the you know the the doubleheader situation. So he gave you seven innings, scoreless baseball, after coming off of the IL, and then you go with the one guy who can't get anyone out right now to defend a one run lead. I get it. The bullpen's kind of a dumpster fire right now, but that was your option. And as soon as Ryan Helsley came into that game. And look, this isn't a knock on Helsley. This is on the guys calling the shots for not recognizing that he was not the guy in that spot. I knew it was over. I knew there was no way they were going to win that game because Ryan Helsley is not the guy to get the middle of the order out, whether it's the Brewers or the Reds or the Cubs or the White Sox or the Twins. It doesn't matter. He can't get those outs right now. So again, to the frustration with this team, it seems like, there's a lot of good things to say about Mike Schilt and company. There's a lot of good things, but there have been so many things that feel a lot like, and I hate to even go here, but they feel a lot like the same frustrations of the Mike Matheny era, where it was like, literally everyone knows this is not going to work, but you. <laughs> and they they keep doing that kind of thing over and over again. So I don't know if it's just because, and look, I get it. They're playing, what, like 17 games in this one week or whatever it is. It seems like uh, there's no good way to do this week of baseball from a management perspective. I get that, and I understand that. But just from the perspective of someone watching this game with some sort of emotional investment in it, there's just so many things like that, whether it's a, a popped-up bunt or the wrong guy coming in to defend a one-run lead when you know it's not going to happen. Yes, when, when you're three outs away from a win, and wins are, you know, such a premium right now in, in a 60-game in a season. Especially really, head-to-head against the team that's yes, trying to yes, knock you out of the playoffs. Exactly, uh, against that team. And uh, I want to note that team. Uh, these uniforms are great that they're wearing right <laughs> now. Um, I just want to get that in there because I'm just now seeing it on my television. Uh Yes, in that situation, you got three outs. You can escape there with a win. Yes, you have another game to worry about. But look, the Brewers had just used basically their two best bullpen arms. So I was, you know, you're in, you're in a spot to feel pretty good about the second game, yeah. even if you have to burn your best arm. Do it. Just get that game. Win the games that you know you can that are there. Well, uh, you and- you absolutely need to split that double header and if you can take game one then you're guaranteed at least that so take game yeah. one <laughs> and, and luckily it kind of canceled like as i understand it, it seemed the whole situation seemed to cancel itself out because they possibly should have lost game two and right ended up winning so we we are just uh complaining about something that you know was really just a, a uh i don't know a split but, you know, we're Cardinals fans. We we complain even when things are going well. So we're certainly <laughs> going to complain about about this. It was it was just frustrating. And yeah. the uh, your point earlier to even when they win, it's, it's not always the most fun time. I mean, the, the only game that really sticks out as a blast was Wainwright's. Uh, I, I shouldn't say that. There's been a lot of fun games. What am I talking about? But, you know, Wainwright's complete game. Mm-hmm. That was 
that was very enjoyable. The, uh, yeah. I think it's just the uh, agonizing feeling of how are we going to score runs, yes. which is, is not fun. Yeah, no, and it's it's difficult when you look at the rest of, let's just look at the NL Central. The Cubs are better than they were last year, but they're not great. The Brewers are worse than they were last year, and they're somehow still hanging around. The Reds are not as good as they looked on paper, but their pitching has kept them in some kind of, you know, conversation. I mean, the Pirates are not really relevant, except that the Cardinals do still have to play, what, five games against them next week. So they're not completely uh, gone from this picture. But, um, or not even next week, just the end of this week. But it's, you look at the this division and think, man, if this team was a little bit more interesting from the offensive side, if they were a little more consistent, if there, if there wasn't so much pressure on the pitchers all the time, they could be far and away the best team in this division because every other team has gigantic flaws too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I can it just also. I, I don't. I don't know if you're watching. Do you have the game on your on your television right now? I do. Or can you see how visibly annoyed Yadi is right now? Yeah, I can't imagine the necessity of Yadi or Molina in this game, and I also can't imagine being Yadi or Molina <laughs> playing with this team this season. And, you know, dealing with all of the the various pieces of that, but also just watching them be so incapable of, uh, you know, putting together any kind of run. They can't win more than two or three games in a row. They can't stay above the 500 mark, even though they're not dropping super far below it. But it, it, it just he doesn't look like he's that impressed <laughs> with this team either. And I think that's sort of how we're all feeling about it. I'm wondering, I'm wondering, though, I know we could talk about the offense but this is a team that has scored double digit runs they have so they can score runs they just don't do it consistently so uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out a few things uh, as far as you know what's the reason that this team is uh, uninteresting to watch or uninspiring to watch i should say is it because the offense doesn't do anything special is it because there's just too many games all at once and it's impossible to keep track of all of them and care about all of them all the time because I feel a little bit exhausted just trying to keep up with the number of games that they're playing. I mean, is it because too many teams are going to make the playoffs so you have teams like this that don't look like they're playoff caliber teams, but they've been in a playoff spot all season anyway? Uh, Or is it, you know, to some degree, just sort of the overall other things in life have felt a lot more important this year. So for baseball to kind of claim that significance, it has to be way more interesting than a mediocre team making the postseason because everyone does. Yeah, Are any of those things? Uh, there I, are so I, I many things. All, I think all those <laughs> things come into play. The first thing I think of when you ask that question is, uh, and, I, and I quickly went to the Cardinals fan page just to confirm, and, and sure enough, you know, they have a slugging percentage as a team below 400. Okay. Uh, they're just not very often coming up with, with big hits. And big hits in this game uh, are exciting. I, I don't know what else to say. It, they, I, I think the other thing I would point to is what you said is just like they have all these games jammed in here. Um, if you're like me, you kind of entered the season a little hungover anyway, just based on the off season, just based on like everything that was going on anyway, outside of baseball, that it was hard to really get excited like I normally would for the start of a baseball season. So I think there's several things at play here, but I think the most important one being is they just have a very uh, limp and uninspired offense. Yeah. Uh, but Paul Goldschmidt, notwithstanding, and, you know, Brad Miller, uh, who has certainly cooled off, but, you know, certainly had that run where he was a lot of fun to watch. Tommy Edmond, you know, it seems like he's one of our best hitters, and he, he has a WRC plus below below average, uh, although he's, I mean, pretty close to average. So, yeah, it, it, there just don't seem to be a lot of bats that if I'm – on the opposing team or a fan of the opposing team. And I see, you know, who's coming up for the Cardinals. There aren't many guys who really scare me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that all those other things that I was talking about 
are still relevant to a team like, say, the Padres. <laughs> uh, but they score runs, so they're exciting. And I think it's a lot like, you know, when you start talking about a team, oh, they, they just look like they don't have great team chemistry or that don't you know seem like they're really into it. And a lot of times people will say, well, winning cures all of those things. <laughs> so, you know, scoring runs cures a lot of those other things, just in the sense that it makes it at least interesting to watch, even if you do feel overwhelmed by the number of games or if baseball takes a backseat to some other things going on in life or whatever it is. Yeah, I do think you're right. The The offensive production or lack thereof is just painful to watch. And, you know, I say that as someone who likes pitchers duels, who likes watching, you know, great defensive plays as much as offensive highlights, but not when it's every single night and the, the pitcher dual thing happens because the offense is bad, not because the pitcher is good. <laughs> There's a dramatic difference in uh, in how that game looks and how many games like that in a row that you want to watch without any real feeling of, okay, they're down by two runs, but they're going to come back and, and at least make it interesting. It, it does seem very on brand that Christian Yelich entered this series not having a great year. He's probably going to leave this series like, I don't know, in the top five MVP game. <laughs> like he's, he's just killing us. He just got on base for the fourth time tonight. I'm going to um, blame friend of the podcast, Daniel Shoptoff for that. Because when uh, we talked on Sunday night, he said something about, uh, surely this will be the way that Christian Yelich wakes up this season is by playing the Cardinals. And uh, that's all we've really seen uh, from, from this series. So uh, Shoptoff, that's on you, buddy. <laughs> well, um, Another thing I just noticed, so the Cardinals have uh, ranked 24th in slugging percentage in all of baseball, but third in their division. Uh, you know, the Brewers mm. and Pirates are behind them, although Brewers, after this game, uh, after, after all this is said and done, might be able to leapfrog them. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I think that, but I think that illustrates why they are able to look so flawed at times but still be – hovering around 500 for basically the entire season. Yeah. And, you know, that's, we're seeing a lot of that in baseball. You know, there are the, the teams that stand out above the rest significantly. But like I said, even the Cubs, they got out to a really terrific start, but without that start, they've looked pretty average at times as well. They've put together some runs when they needed to, and that's the difference between what they've done and what the Cardinals have done, primarily because they can score runs when they get in that kind of rhythm. Now, they haven't yeah. done that all season. They've had their own struggles with driving in runs and leaving runners stranded at third with less than two outs and, and all of those things. But there, there are a lot of similarities in the frustrations with the teams in the NL Central, but the Cardinals and their lack of offense, I feel like makes it look a lot worse than maybe it really is. Yeah, you could be right. And I, I will say about the Cubs, I think what, they started 13-3, and three, so that would put them at two games below five hundred since then. But yeah. it seems like lately they have, oh, Ryan Braun is going crazy. Look <laughs> at him. Uh, he didn't like a call. Wait, oh, that was only strikes. Oh, Ryan Braun. Uh, all right, so Cubs are, I guess, two games below 500 since that start. <laughs> I've never seen Yadier Molina look so annoyed that he has to play baseball right now. This is something to watch. Uh, I know you're usually behind me, so you might see it soon. Um, anyway, yeah, the Cubs haven't looked great since that start, but I really think lately they've kind of turned it on. You know, yeah. they had that great comeback win against the Brewers, and then they followed that up with a no-hitter. Mm -hmm. uh, now, whether or not, like, if they don't have that comeback against Hayter and against the Brewers that, you know, other things don't fall into place following that, who knows? But it did seem like one of those wins that could kind of, and I probably shouldn't be saying this word, but kind of one of those momentum wins that yeah. that kind of fuels you. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that's why Alec Mills and Pitch and No Hitter. I don't <laughs> think it quite, quite works like that. But I, I do think the Cubs have something going that the Cardinals do not. Yeah, I would agree with that. And whether that's a, a clubhouse thing, whether that's a talent thing, whether that's a management thing, I don't really know because the Cardinals have had some wins like that. They've had some wins, whether it was the Adam Wainwright 
complete game or the the 12 runs they put up on the Tigers or, you know, whatever it is. They've had some games where you felt like, man, if this team wasn't completely immune to momentum, <laughs> this would be the, the kickstart to send them to the end of the regular season. But that's been the case for the last couple of years, really. Well, the last handful of years that I recall immediately. This is a, not a team that goes on six, seven, eight, nine game winning streaks. They go on three game winning streaks and then lose two and then win three and then lose one and then win four and then lose three. It just that they don't have that same. I don't even know. I don't even know how you analyze that. I don't know where that comes from as far as how do you take advantage of momentum? I don't know what the source of that is, but this team doesn't have it. No, definitely not. And, and Yadier Molina just broke his hand. So that's cool. Um, I was right about taking. Oh, oh, benches are, are uh, clearing. Uh, I'm guessing Yadi said something to somebody. Uh, he and Jed. Jed's trying to play Peacemaker. Are you watching this? Yeah, I'm just now seeing the okay. trainer come out to Yadi. Okay. So I'm a little behind. So I, I, don't, I was exaggerating when I said Yadi just broke his hand. That didn't happen. But basically, it was catcher interference, bronze swinging. Looked very painful on, yeah, the, uh, on the replay. Ouch. Um, you know, I did just say, take Yadi out of the game. There's no reason for him to be playing right now. Uh, yeah. I hope this injury isn't lingering. But I'm guessing y- Yadi must have chirped at someone. I, I don't know. I'd like to, I'd like to uh, I haven't on mute, so I'm curious what, what they're saying. But That's pretty brutal first... when you get called for catcher's interference and also you get oh, your hand. Shilt is now yelling at someone. Uh, I like Mad. I like Mad Mike Schilt. I like Mad Mad Mike Schilt too. Mad Mike. That's uh, a good uh, Mad Mike. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's really angry. Um, I think this is our first live. Uh, po- I think that's our first podcast where we've been able to uh, dissect a bench clearing <laughs> incident. <laughs> uh, uh, these bench clearing so things. Just are- when we're calling them not exciting. Just when yeah. we're saying this team isn't very exciting, Yadier Molina is ready to fight the entire team. Well, Yadier need, needs to f- play with that kind of energy all the time to make this team a little more exciting. <laughs> I, I, you know, I thought he was having a bad time out there before. Now I think he's uh, <laughs> definitely. Oh, I, oh is he yeah. staying in this game? Is that is that what I'm seeing here? Are we that not taking him out even now? Sounds like it's probably accurate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh boy, uh, he doesn't need his. He doesn't need to be able to feel his hand to be able to catch. So it's fine. I guess uh, it's not know. a throwing hand. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's oh, 100% staying in this game. That seems so unnecessary. It really uh, does. They play a double header tomorrow. Just let him go ice his hand. Okay, so here it is. He's yelling. I think Yadier Molina said something. Oh, he and uh, he and Council? Oh, and then Jed, Jed came out. Okay, Jed's like, hey, buddy, come on. You know, we're all old friends here. Uh, <laughs> and Yadi's like, man, you don't know guy. what it's like having to play with this team. <laughs> I, always, I always feel bad for the guy who's in Jed Jerko's situation who is like, I don't want to fight these guys. Like, you know, I, mm-hmm. well, I'm friends with a lot of these guys. Uh, you yeah. Know. He's like, just uh, calm down so that I don't have to pretend to be mad at you. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know. Jed Jerko's uh, hurt the Cardinals a number of times already in this series, so. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the friendliness good, may be wearing off. Good for him, though. I I I, I enjoyed the Jed Jerko years in St. Louis, and I I liked him a lot as a player. He always seemed to go above and beyond what he was asked. Yeah, to do so. It's nice to see him have success elsewhere. So, uh, anyway, you know, so, the yeah, excitement we got, we got totally distracted there, but we uh, did. I don't even know yeah. what we were talking about at that point. That was interesting. I'm just now seeing the the Jed Jerko part of this, where he's like, "Come on, man, don't don't do this." <laughs> Matt Carpenter really giving him a nice bear hug. This, I, guess. Um, I guess. Yeah, so I don't know it. if that counts as exciting or if that is just the frustration boiling over. But um, nonetheless, I don't think that Yadier Molina has a whole lot to offer this game in particular that, uh, you know, Weeders or somebody else can't um well, without volume, I don't know the context of what started all of that. I have right. some ideas, but so I can't even do the uh, was such and such being a jerk because I don't know right, all that's the details. True. Um, but I, I know you saw this last night because you tweeted about it. Uh-huh. Uh, Trent Grisham's home run off Clint, Clayton Kershaw. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Was he being a jerk on, on the five-point scale? Would you give him even a um, one? Because I, I have him at a zero. Really? A zero? Well, 
he he hit a home okay. run and and stood there and watched it, uh, which okay. Um, and then he he looked in his own dugout and was yeah. just like celebrating with his guys. Okay, so uh, that's the thing. I was fine with it completely until when he rounded third base, he was oh. sort of gesturing at the other dugout. Oh, so that was the point where okay. I was like, oh, okay. Right. If you're okay, just celebrating with your part. own guys, totally okay. fine. So maybe like bump it up to a two or three. Yeah, yeah all right. That's a two. That's I'll give yeah. him a two if he was doing that. Uh, <laughs> and it wasn't I, anything dramatic. It was just kind of yeah. like staring him down, motioning right. a little bit. But you kind of like it, right? Because like one, you expect the Dodgers, who are the most dominant team in baseball and have been for basically the past decade, yeah. to be kind of secure in who they are. And to not get too rattled by that stuff. Sure. Yeah. So to see it happen into a team like the Padres, an division team who are basically kind of like these young Turks, you know, up, you know, trying to like topple a total like hegemony of a baseball team is kind of an exciting thing to see. So you can totally understand why, because it only what just made it a one. It's not like it was a walk off home run. Or right. It just made it a right. one one game. If, if I if I understand the situation. But you can still understand why a team like the Padres would be so excited with the season they're already having and to be able to kind of stare a team like the Dodgers in the face and and play with them. Uh, Yeah, totally. That's some exciting stuff. I mean, they play with that kind of energy anyway, and why wouldn't they? They're young and they're exciting and they <laughs> score a lot of runs and they hit a lot of exciting, game-changing home runs and they're chasing the Dodgers in the division and certainly then in the postseason. And they're kind of the the little brother sort of team that hasn't been good for a while and they've had their chances against the Dodgers. So there's so many reasons that that makes perfect sense for the emotion to be there. And what I tweeted was essentially... If I hit that kind of home run off of Clayton Kershaw, especially on a team that's already that exciting, already chasing just this incredible setup to a postseason run, I'm going to be that excited too. And I'm going to react like it. But if I'm Clayton Kershaw, I'm also going to be mad about it. And I'm also going to be annoyed that this person celebrated in my face. So it kind of goes back to what we talked about the last time this was an issue with Tatis is that. I'm okay with the emotion on both sides. Now, what gets a little weird for me is afterwards, the managers trying to, oh, I didn't appreciate the, you know, respect the game, whatever. It's emotion of the moment and the game's better off with it. So it it basically seemed like uh, Dave Roberts was saying, Clayton Kershaw, you can't do that to him because he's so good. Uh, Which... Yeah, that's some faulty logic. <laughs> um, and it reminded me, this is a big throwback, but in that crazy ALCS, I want to say it was in 2003 when Pedro was on the mound and he threw basically at uh, Kareem Garcia's head, uh, Kareem Garcia of the Yankees. And I think it was the same game where bench, benches later cleared and he threw Don Zimmer to the ground. Do you remember this? I mean, it was a long time ago, but it was kind of a famous thing. And to be fair, Don Zimmer, old man that he was, but he was still charging at him. So he kind of just like escorted him to the ground, I think would be better. But but later, anyway, my point is later, Pedro Martinez basically said, Cream Garcia, who are you? Uh, Basically saying you have no right to get mad at me if I throw out your head because Mm, you're not good. Which, yeah. no, that's not how this works. You, you don't get to only get upset if someone throws at your head if you have a certain uh, batting, you know, if, if right. you're one of the best players in baseball. Just like you don't get to uh, get upset about a guy enjoying a home run because he hit it off a, a pitcher of a certain stature. That shouldn't right. be how things go. Agreed. Agreed. So uh, maybe maybe like a two on the was he being a jerk scale for the uh, the mild chaunting of the opponent's dugout. But other than that, it was just a cool moment. And I would also have been mad if I was uh, Clayton Kershaw. So I get it. And I think that kind of emotion, that kind of energy is what we're not seeing from the Cardinals, except um, you know, in frustration tonight. And I, to to just wrap this whole Cardinals thing up, because they're now losing uh, 15 to 2 with the bases loaded and one out 
um, in the fifth inning. There's still so much baseball to be played. But Yadier Molina did stay in the game. And I was just reading a tweet uh, from Jeff Jones that said that Yadier Molina and Mike Schilt were visibly arguing on the field about whether Molina should stay in the game. Matt Carpenter came over and tried to talk him off the field. Schilt signaled to the dugout. Matt Wieters had his gear on and Molina stayed in. So that's a thing that is happening. And uh, apparently Molina calls his own shots, uh, just like we always assumed, even with a potentially broken wrist. So who knows what that will uh, turn into as we get through this game and how long he'll stay in and what they'll all say about it afterwards. But that might be the most exciting thing that's happened in the last little stretch for the Cardinals, which tells you everything you need to know about the kind of baseball they're playing right now. I think Jack Flaherty was honestly taken out of this game. Oh my God, this is just, this is so bad to watch right now. But I think Jack Flaherty was taken out of this game three outs ago. <laughs> it seems like it was over an hour ago. It's been so long. A lot has happened since then. There's one out in this inning, Tara. It's, it's never going to end. This, <laughs> this is the longest inning of what was already a lopsided game. <sighs> oh my gosh. Can we oh, also, terrible. I don't, I don't want to dwell on this, but I'm just going to say this. I am not impressed with Lane Thomas. Uh, um, so no, that no. experiment can be done. No, I, I, I agree on every, <laughs> every way uh, you can agree there is how I agree. I'm so, not uh, all that impressed with Kaminsky right now either. He looks terrible, well, yeah. but. Let's but, you know, the thing it. about Kaminsky that I guess it's not necessarily an excuse, but he wasn't supposed to be part of this season necessarily, uh, at least not in high leverage innings like this, because if they'd if they'd played a regular season, I don't know that he's one of the guys that makes the cut um, to be part of these uh, important bullpen innings. But right now they they, uh, they don't have a choice because they ran uh, Reyes and Cabrera pretty well into the ground the last couple of days. And they still are without John Gant and uh, Gallegos. And of course, no Jordan Hicks all season and no John Brebbia. And their options are getting very, very slim out there. So Kaminsky just is apparently going to have to wear this one. And, um, you know, that's unfortunate for him and his his limited stats. But they need need to have a forfeit rule. You saw Ben Godar's tweet. Uh, I did. Okay, I did. Yeah. Um, I, I want to say two things before we move on to the trip of the week. The first thing is I think the uh, 29 runs that we saw scored last week uh, might, might be in danger here. Uh, was that the Braves who scored 29 runs in a game? Yeah. And two, if, if Yadier Molina and Mike Schilt were arguing on the field and Yadier Molina stayed in the game, I... Mike Schilt needs to answer that after the game. Yeah, absolutely. That's unacceptable if that is as it appears on its face. Yeah. That's all. That's that's not a great situation. No, it really isn't. And it kind of confirms a lot of suspicions, I think, as far as what that dynamic looks like. And listen, I get it. Yadier Molina has the all the sort of veteran status that anyone can have in this game but he still isn't the one in charge. And the reason that you have a manager is to make those decisions for the good of the team when a player wouldn't make it for themselves. So I love Yadier Molina and I love the fact that he wants to be in there and he wants to be part of it and he wants to play even in a 17 to two game. I, I appreciate the tenacity uh, of a guy like Yadier Molina, but he shouldn't be the one calling those shots. And Mike Schilt, you're right. I think I totally agree. He needs to answer for that. And we'll see uh, what comes of it after the game. But instead of just continuing to drown in this horrible mess of a game, they finally did get through the, the, the fifth inning. So we will take this quick break in the action <laughs> to try to wrap this up before something else terrible happens. So let's go to something a little more positive and potentially exciting and, uh, and have the chirp of the week, Alex. Yeah, so... I'm going to do a chirp of the week about Lou Brock. And I feel bad about it because Lou Brock should not be in any way associated with this episode. He's too good. He was too good of a, a player and a person to be associated with this mess that we're watching on TV right now. Um, and just what we've been talking about the first 40 or 50 minutes of this episode. So, yeah, 
it doesn't quite seem right, but here we go anyway. So um, everyone just listen to this part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that might that might be the way to do it. Uh, you know, uh, True Blood did the Chirp of the Week uh, last week and talked about Lou Brock and really kind of did a deep dive to tell you the type of player that he was, which was a very, very unique player. And I think earlier in that episode, or, or maybe uh, maybe after that, I mentioned that, you know, every once in a while, I have to remind myself that when Lou Brock broke the stolen base record for a single season, when he stole 118 bases, uh, he was 35 years old. Um, and later I was thinking, well, obviously that's a record because when Ricky Henderson then broke his record in 1982, when he stole 130, he was like 24. So, you know, he was nowhere near 35. So I started thinking, not only is that obviously a record for someone who's, let's say 35 years or older, but it has to be a record by like a mile, right? Like I can't imagine a guy who's 35 even coming or or older coming even close to that. And mm-hmm. so I got on the trusty uh, stat cast, stat head. I still can't get it right. I, I miss. I just want to call it play index. I got on the play <laughs> index and I did a search for players starting with 1901 because Tara, do you care about players who were stealing bases in the 1800s? I really don't. I do not. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. Um, so I started with 1901 and I looked at all players who are at least 35 years old and uh, sorted by most uh, stolen bases in a season. And of course, Lou Brock is first with 118. Second is Ricky Henderson in 1998. When he was 39, he stole 66. Uh, so that's second. That is a huge, huge drop off. That's a a difference of 52 stolen bases from first to second. And that's about what I would have expected. Um, And I I took it a little further and I looked at then just Cardinals age uh, 35 and over and sorted by stolen bases. And it will not surprise you that the top three are Lou Brock. Of course, uh, his uh, record-breaking 118 is number one. Uh, but then he stole 56 bases in 1976 as a 37-year-old and also 56 bases in 1975 as a 36-year-old. Fourth is not Lou Brock. Do you want to take a guess of who might who it could be? I don't know. Who is it? It's Ozzie Smith. Okay. Ozzie right. Smith stole 43 bases in 1992 when he was 37 years old. And also, he's number five on this list. He stole 35 bases as a 36-year-old in 1991. In fact... If you look at the top 15 Cardinals on this list, nine of them are seasons from either Lou Brock or Ozzie Smith, with most of, them be- most of them being from Lou Brock. I'll tell you who else comes up on this list. So the top six are all Lou and Ozzie. Um, but number seven is Patsy Donovan, who stole 34 bases as a 37-year-old. Uh, do you have any Patsy Do- Donovan memories? I do not. I do not. Uh, okay, well, he played in 1902, so that might might be why. Uh, Ozzy's number eight. Um, number nine is a guy named Miller Huggins, uh, who, uh, in, who in 1914, as a 36-year-old, stole 32 bases. And then we're back to Patsy Donovan at number 10 and 11, who uh, 1901 and 1903, stole a decent amount of bases. Miller Huggins again in 1913. Reggie Sanders uh, in 2004, as a 36-year-old, stole 21 bases. And then Ozzie Smith, again, uh, as a 38-year-old in 1993, stole 21. And Lou Brock, as a 40-year-old in 1979, stole 21 bases. Uh, And so then I looked at, well, let's look at really old guys. Uh, And I can say this because I am over 40, so I looked at guys who are at least 40 and I wanted to look at the all-time leaderboard again starting at uh in 1901 because again Lou Brock stole 21 bases as a uh, 40 40 year old 1979 and I wanted to see where that ranks because you know 21 stolen bases uh is not like uh it's not really you know you're not throwing parades if a guy steals 21 bases but it's still it's a lot for a guy who's 41 so I wanted to see where that would rank all time and it is 12th all time for guys who are at least 40. Number one is Davey Lopes, who stole 47 bases as a 40-year-old in 1985 for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, and then this list is basically populated with Ricky Henderson and Otis Nixon and players like that. Ricky and uh, let's find uh, – the, the funny thing about Ricky Henderson 
is all these seasons are with different players because this is when Ricky Henderson seemed to be moonlighting for a different team uh, Uh. (laughs) every year. For instance, in 1999, he stole 40 bases for the Mets. In 2001, he stole 40. He stole, no, I'm sorry. I said that wrong. In 1999, as a 40-year-old, he stole 37 bases for the Mets. And in 2001, as a 42-year-old, he stole 25 bases for the Padres. Uh, in the year 2000, he stole 36 bases at a 40, as a 41-year-old for two different teams. Uh, I'm <laughs> guessing that would be the Mets and maybe the Padres or maybe the A's. I'm trying to remember who he played for that year. But anyway, Ricky Henderson in those days would all, was always playing for a different team each season, it seemed. Um, and go down the list and you have Lou Brock again at uh, 12th all-time for, for old guys, guys over 40, who in 1979 stole 21 bases when he was exactly 40 years old. And again, that's the amazingness of Lou Brock. It's still, uh, I don't think it's talked about enough that he somehow managed to do that as a, uh, as a 35-year-old, break that record. And that truly is amazing. Yeah, when, especially when we talk so much about guys being on the downside of their career at like 32 these days, um, to have someone making records, and not just records, but that records that have held up this long, you know, at that point in their career, it's it's uh, it's pretty cool to see that um, as part of their game and to see it hold up all these years and and to see where he fits on so many of those lists just because he was so good at uh, that one particular thing as far as the those records are concerned, the the age not being a factor. <laughs> yeah, a- absolutely, uh, truly. Uh... And the last thing I'll say about Lou Brock, and I should have said it last week, you know, that wonderful eulogy that Bob Costas gave to Stan Musial. I, I think one of the lines that stood out was he basically said, he is just, he has a legacy of just being a very decent human being for a very long time. Uh, that, that, those aren't the exact words, but that's basically what he said. And that same thing applies to Lou Brock. It absolutely does. I got a little distracted because Yachty's yeah, yelling yeah, at umpires yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. we uh, were talking about how, like, oh, why is Yachty still in this game? Well, he might not be much longer because the umpires might take care of it. The umpires might do Mike Schultz's job for him and throw yeah. Yachty Marina out of the game if he keeps this up. I don't, I'm very curious what happened here. So many, so many uh, c- questions without any sort of sound. So, uh, yeah. anyway, we're going to wrap the show up, <laughs> dwell on the Lou Brock part, maybe not the rest of it, and we'll come back to you next week after having watched this team play more games in a week than uh, some teams play in two, it seems like, and we'll maybe have answers by that point to the Yadier Molina factor here. But he's... Um, he doesn't appear to be enjoying himself. We'll leave it at that. And you can... Uh, you know, fill in the blanks for yourself. So the Cardinals uh, are in for a long night in Milwaukee. We're going to leave them to it. And you can listen to this tomorrow when we know all the details that we don't know now while we're talking about it. So you can fill in the blanks while you're listening along tomorrow. Make sure you're following Birds on the Black on Twitter and on your favorite podcast listening service. And then you can find all the things from the Birds on the Black team. I'm at Tara Wellen on Twitter. He's at AlexCard79. You probably know that by now, but if you're new, thanks for joining us. Sorry we talked about how this team isn't interesting, but, you know, we only have to work with what they give us. So until next time, I'm Tara. He's Alex. We'll see you then.